In Psalm 90, verse 12, Moses, uh, the man of God, writes this. So teach us to number our days, that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Or we could say, Lord, help us to gain an understanding of the brevity of life so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Help us to understand how short life is. Help us to understand how urgent life is. And he goes on to say that that is wise thinking. I invite you to James chapter 4 for a text this morning. I've titled this message, What is Your Life? We'll be looking at the last few verses of James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17, and I draw that title from verse 14, where we read, For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. I asked you this morning, what is your life? Now, it has been mentioned already this morning uh, that various friends, family members uh, have passed away recently. We've been dealing with that, going through some of that. Uh, We're also made aware of of a number of people in Kentucky that lost their lives rather suddenly and some severe flooding there. Uh, the news is full of, of people dying. Uh, people have lost their lives in various shootings. And you don't have to look way out there, but deaths happen regularly around us in our own little town, some peacefully, some tragically. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. About 10 years ago, there was a certain expression that became very popular, at least among some in our culture. In fact, uh, in 2013, this expression Uh, It was so popular that it it went viral in the social media world. And that expression was YOLO. The acronym YOLO. It stands for you only live once. And I trust that it wasn't used among you. And if it was, that it was in a very lighthearted type of way, that it wasn't serious. But it was a motto that was used to convey the idea that you should just go ahead and take risks in life. You should go ahead and just throw it to the wind. Live life to the fullest. Do the extreme things. Do those risky things that give an adrenaline rush. Because, you know, you only live once. And you don't want to be keeping yourself from all the fun in life. So go ahead, 
jump 100 feet off the bridge into the lake, YOLO. Go ahead and eat the whole box of ice cream in one sitting, YOLO. Go ahead, you fill in the blank, okay? I find it interesting that in our passage here in James chapter 4, we find that James also believed in YOLO. <laughs> he also said YOLO. Except we find that he makes it clear that the fact that you only live once is not a license to just live it up. It's not a license to live your life in selfish indulgence. But in fact, the truth, the reality that we only live once should cause us to consider the importance of making each moment count for Jesus Christ. Because you only live once. Let's read this passage here. James chapter 4, starting at verse 13. Go to now, ye that say... Today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. For that ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. But now ye rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. It is my prayer, dear people, that as we look at this passage this morning, that it would cause us to gain a, a more proper perspective about this thing we call life. What is life? What is your life? What are we talking about? And that it would then call us to live a life of humble dependence upon God. And we'll note it in just a moment, but you see the contrast in verse 13 and 15. There were those who say, we will. We're going to do this. This is our plan. God is really not a part of it. Verse 15. What you ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. You see that contrast. It's a contrast between selfish pursuit and humble dependence upon God. Let's note verse 17 for just a moment, and then we'll go back and sort of break uh, these verses down just a bit. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Now, sometimes this verse is used uh, in more of a general way. You know, you knew what you were supposed to do, and you didn't do it, and that's sin to you. You know what the Bible says, and you didn't do it in that matter, and it, that's sin, because God's word said that, and you didn't do it. And that's, that's good and right in various ways. But in this context right here, James is calling the people to focus in on this. What? It is the truth that calls us to live our lives in humble dependence upon God. 
He says, I have told you. I have written to you what ye ought to do. I have made it clear to you that tomorrow is not a given. I have made it clear to you that those who live according to themselves, those who are proud will fall. I have made it clear to you that it is the humble ones that God lifts up and sustains. And so he ends this passage, he ends this thought by saying, Now, with that in mind, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. The context of humble dependence upon God. You know, sin is often defined as doing a bad thing. Saying a bad word. Thinking a bad thought. Uh, we could refer to that as the sin of commission. We're committing a sin. But there's also the sin of omission. Where we refuse to do or we simply neglect to do what we know is right and good. And that's the sin of omission. We omit doing what we know we ought to do. And that is particularly what James is writing about here in this passage. I would like for us this morning to consider four realities about life uh, that we find in verse 14. Four realities here in verse 14. And the first is that life is fickle. Life is fickle. Now, children, this is not related to pickle, okay? <laughs> you know, it's a word we don't use every day. Uh, but, you know, sometimes we talk about getting in a pickle or eating a pickle. That's not what we're talking about. Life is fickle. What I mean by that is that life is subject to change. Life is uncertain. Life is not steady. Life has its ups and downs. Life is unpredictable. Uh, tomorrow is not a given. You know, just because you're healthy and strong today, just because you have a good business today, just because you're planning to do something tomorrow, doesn't necessarily mean it's going to happen. Doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be healthy and strong tomorrow. By tomorrow night, things may change. Life is fickle. It's unpredictable. Tomorrow is not a given. And so we read here, Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. Oh, you think you do. And in fact, here in the context of this passage, here in verse 13, he is, he is giving a little picture of those who think they know what's going to happen tomorrow. And they said, okay, we've made it good. It's in the context here of selfish pursuit. We've made it good in this city We've done well. We've got our money. Now let's move on to the next place. We'll be there about a year. We're going to mop up there. Then we'll move on. And they've got their life planned out how they're going to make it rich and how they're going to get the most. And James goes, whoa, hold everything. You don't even know what tomorrow might bring. The Proverbs writer in Proverbs 27.1 writes, boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. How well we are aware of that in just the last week or two. How well we are aware. You do not know what the next day will bring forth. 
you know, many people go about life with selfish ambitions. Uh, they have big dreams. They have big plans. They're thinking of that big house they're building or, or, or the big business that they want to they wanna build or, or they're thinking about all these things. They have lots of aspirations and lots of dreams and goals in life and, and they're driven to make those happen and driven for them to succeed and, and they're thinking about, you could say, the American dream and they're thinking how lovely that seems or appears and that really is something they want to pursue. Uh, so many people today go about life assuming and presuming. And they take for granted that life will just happen. That tomorrow will be a given. That they'll always have health and strength. And the money will continue to come. And that becomes their focus. That becomes their pursuit. And then when something happens. When someone dies. When the money stops coming in when they get a severe illness, when they, all of a sudden their whole world crumbles because they had put all of their focus, they had put all of their hope in the things that were uncertain, in the things that were not sure. The Hebrews writer says, believers, we have an anchor for the soul that is both sure and steadfast. You see, that is through Jesus Christ. It is not in the stuff of this world. It is in our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the rock that we can build our lives on. He is the one who gives us stability and strength and endurance in the midst of the up and downs of life, in the midst of the uncertainties, when life is fickle. Turn to Luke chapter 12. I would just like to note briefly what Jesus says here. And we refer to this passage as the, the parable of the rich fool. Luke chapter 12, beginning at verse 15. But as you're going to that, I just simply ask you, how do you want to be remembered? Now, we usually remember people for various things. It's true that people are not remembered forever, at least most people. But after they live their life and depart from this world, we remember them for various things. We talk about them. Things come back to mind. I ask you, how do you want to be remembered? We remember this man as the rich fool. Verse 15 of Luke 12. And Jesus said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. Or in other words, your worth in life is not found in the stuff that you own. You see, many people today think it is. And so, if you are the more you own means the more you're worth. And so, if that's the case, then by all means own more. Because you're worth more. Jesus said, wait a minute. Your worth is not found in what you own. Verse 16. 
And Jesus spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. Okay, so far so good. Here we have a, a rich farmer, and he planted his crops, and the Lord blessed them. That is of the Lord. That's what God does, okay? God blessed his grounds. God blessed his crops, and he has this bumper crop. Okay, so far so good. Verse 17, and he thought within himself, saying, what shall I do because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? Once again, so far so good. I mean, that's a good question. God has blessed me richly. Now, what am I supposed to do with what God has given to me? We ought to think the same thing. We need to ponder that. Okay, from here on, things go downhill. Verse 18, and he said, ha this will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruit and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Okay, notice that's what he said to himself. Notice what God said to him. But God said unto him, Thou fool. This night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? And here is the conclusion on the matter. And these are the words of Jesus. So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. I would just like to note a few things here. First of all, I want you to note his proud spirit and his presumptuous planning. Note all the I wills. I will do this. I will do this. I will do this. Oh, really? This night thy soul shall be required of thee. You would like to do this. But no, I will do this. That's his mindset. Note the, uh, the faulty assumptions he makes in verse 19. And I notice at least three of them. He assumes that the goods that he have laid up in his new big barn will last him many years. He assumes that. That's faulty assumptions, dear people. Secondly, he assumes that he will live long enough to enjoy them all. That's faulty assumptions. Thirdly, he assumes that the stuff that he has in his barn is going to make him happy. That's faulty assumptions. In fact, that's a lie. <laughs> the stuff that you have is truly not the source of true happiness. Where was his focus? His focus was not on helping others. You see, he had all this stuff. God had blessed him richly. But he did not see it that way. He said, he doesn't necessarily say this in so many words, but inside I can hear him saying, you really did well. Like you've, It's a good thing you did so much of that soil and you really you know, made this work out. And you're a really good farmer. Like, I mean, wow, you're a great farmer. And, and I mean, you have good equipment and, and you bought the best seed because you can. And, and you know, Wow, good job, good job, you know. 
He never once thinks about how he can share then his abundance with others because this is mine. He doesn't think about, did he go to church? Was he a Mennonite? He doesn't talk about how he could share with those in need. He doesn't even think about them. We don't have anything about the offering here, anything about giving back to God. He's stockpiling, and that's where his focus is. It's on that pile in the barn, that pile in the barn. I just ask you, where is your focus? As you go through this life, as you're building your business, as you're raising your family, as you're making your money, where is your focus? Is it on the stockpile in the bank, as it were? Is it on the huge investments that you're making and how that's going to play out well for you one day? What does Jesus say in conclusion? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. It's a matter of wrong priorities, wrong focus. We need to move on here. What is your life? You know, life is fickle. Uh, tomorrow is not a given. Therefore, we, we must learn to cherish each day that the Lord allows us to live. We must strive to live each moment for the glory of God, realizing that it's because of Him and it's because of His blessing that we have what we have and give Him due credit for that. Secondly, I notice, and we'll go back to James chapter 4. Here in verse 14, I notice another reality about life, and that is that life is fragile. Life is fragile. For what is your life, James says, it is even a vapor. <laughs> Think how fragile a vapor is. Your life is just a breath. How well I remember bringing our oldest child home from the hospital. Miles, he's now almost 17 years old, but I remember that day very well. I can picture it as I'm speaking right now. I can picture it in my mind very well. But, uh, you know, Kim and I thought that we were just, you know, had, had life by the tail. Um, you know, life was so good, and we were happily married, and I had a blue Audi A6, and now I had a little boy, and <laughs> we were just, man, life is good, you know, and um, I remember, you know, we had this little baby, and, and uh, we were at the hospital there for a couple days, and the nurses helped with that, and when he cried, they took him, and when he was hungry, they helped him, and all this stuff, and we were just, man, th th we like having babies, this is nice, let's have some more of these, you know. Um, and so then I remember more particularly that, that when we went to leave the hospital a couple days later, things changed a bit. I can picture us coming out of the hospital with, you know, and they wheeled him out with little baby Miles, and we got her in the car. Bye, bye, have a good life, you too. You know, and, and we went on, and we, had, we drove down Hamilton Boulevard. We didn't get even to um, just up past the police department there, and Miles started screaming. <laughs> and the nurse was no longer there. And we kind of looked at each other. And, and something started settling into our souls. It was kind of like this, oh my. What have we gotten ourselves into? Uh, I mean, he, he was screaming. I stopped just up the street. There used to be a bread store. I stopped up there, and I thought maybe he was choking to death. I, I got out, and, and we, we fixed his, 
his strap around his neck in his car seat, and, and he just kept screaming. He screamed the whole way home. And we didn't know if we'd lose him or not. He seemed so fragile. He seemed so nothing, you know. And here we were with this life in our hands and our responsibility. <laughs> Praise God we got over that and, and life moved on. And we had more, so we must have enjoyed it. Um, and so life moves on. But, you know, we think about life being fragile when it comes to little infants or when it comes to elderly people or maybe when it comes to someone who has a severe illness. We think about that life is fragile. Like, whoa, they could die really quick, like you know, just like that. But I ask you, what about your life? Is your life fragile? What about strong, healthy, handsome people who are in the prime of their life? Is their life fragile? And, and I could mention different scenarios here, different stories from our past, even our congregation, from, from Bevan uh, to Brother Gerald um, and, and others that we have have loved and, and grown up with and friends with and were dear to us, how they were in different accidents or situations where just like that, either their life abruptly changed or, or, or their life ceased here on earth. Or, or we think of our friend Japheth Schrock, who one moment he was a strong 18-year-old boy and the next moment, he's gone. Just, just like that. How is that? Or I think of the young Amish fellow a few years ago who was out turkey hunting one morning and didn't return. And they went to find him, and there he was dead. And they couldn't figure out why. And they sent his body to the medical examiner in Richmond. And, and when they brought the report back, the report was no cause for death. What? No cause for death? I, is God allowed to do that? <laughs> Can God do that? Absolutely. Our life and breath is in the hand of God. He holds the keys. Dear people, no matter what stage of life you're in, your life is fragile. I don't care if you're a young, strong boy here, or if you're an older lady or man or a little child, your life is fragile. You know, David had a proper perspective of this when he said, there is but a step between me and death. And I think that's a good perspective to cultivate in our lives. There's but a step between me and death. God is in the center of that step, okay? God knows it. God holds the key to our lives. And there is a, there is a peace that comes when we just simply trust him in that. That my life is not in my hands. It's not in your hands. Ultimately, it's in God's hands. Thank you, Lord. I trust you in that. Now, that doesn't lead, it should not lead to careless living, but instead it, it leads us once again to a humble dependence upon God. We won't look at this right now, but in the Psalms we have different descriptions of life. In one is the psalmist says that life is similar to a passing breeze that comes once and is gone. Only once. Just a passing breeze. Another place it says that our life is like dust. Think about, think about how fragile dust is. If, if I put just a little pile of dust on, on this paper right here, I wouldn't have to do more than just do a light breath and it would be gone. I mean, you would not collect it anymore. It's gone. 
We're not like a rock. We're not like concrete. We're not like steel. The Bible says we're like dust. And gaining that perspective, I think, is helpful for us. I also noticed that in different of those passages in Psalms, along with the description of what life is like, it said that God remembers. God remembers that you're just like a wind that comes once and is gone. God remembers that you are dust. And that's a comforting reality to me. That God remembers that our lives are in his hand. We're not forgotten by God. Well, thirdly then, another reality that I see here in James chapter 4 verse 14. Another reality about life is that life is fleeting. Life is fleeting. In other words, life is short. Life is brief. We're here one moment and we're gone the next. What does it say in verse 14? What is your life? It is even a, even a vapor that appeareth for a little time. It appeareth for a little time. In fact, life is like a dash. And I mean that in more than one way. But a dash is something that we do fast. Uh, you know, we dash here and we dash there. There's the 100 meter dash. It speaks about something that is fast, something that is speedy. But there's another dash that I want us to consider a moment. If we would take just a little break and walk back here to the graveyard and walk around the tombstones, as we look at those tombstones and the messages on them, we would see on many of those stones that between the birth date and the death date is a little dash. You almost miss it. That dash represents the life of that person. That's sobering to me. That dash represents the life of that person. And so life is fleeting. I find it interesting that we, all, we often comment about the speed of life. It's just sort of part of our conversations. Oftentimes, maybe when we meet someone, it, it might be sort of a conversation starter um, where we you know, we look at each other's children and we say, wow, the children are really growing up fast. Yeah, they are. Yeah, isn't that something? It sure is. Yeah, or, you know, we might think about a week that we really enjoyed and it's the end of the week and we say, man, that week went so fast. It really did. Um, or, or maybe we haven't met someone since Bible school or since our growing up days and we say, where has time went? In fact, <laughs> I caught myself saying that uh, to my friend Tommy at the bake shop earlier this, this week. Tommy and his wife were a part of the birth class, going back to Miles, uh, were a part of the birth class with Kim and I. That was the scariest class I've ever taken. I tell you, we'll leave it right there, but wow. Anyway, but, but Tommy and his wife, they were also expecting their first child. And so a few of us couples met at the hospital for this birthing class, and whoa, the rest is history. But anyway, I, I met him, and I hadn't seen him for a while. And he said, is that, is that your son there at, behind the cash register? I said, yes, yeah, Miles. He said, I thought so, because ours is getting ready to turn 17, too. Yeah, and, and, and I, said, I said, Tommy, where his time went? And, and then it hit me, like, you know. We say these things, don't we? Anyway, 
But, you know, we reminisce about things of the past, or we reminisce maybe about our wedding day, and we say, you know, it seems just like yesterday that we walked down the aisle. But we make a lot of comments about the speed of life. That's not a Mennonite thing, okay? That's not just a, a modern-day thing. That's happened throughout life. In fact, let's turn back to the book of Job and just notice that he did the same thing. Job did the same thing. He often commented about how fast life goes. Um, and mind you, he was speaking about this when he was in pain. <laughs> we, we often think that we're in a bad situation, that things really drag along, and like this could be like this forever. But in fact, he was talking about how fast life is when he's in trouble. So that really means it's going fast. Um, but Job chapter 7, verses 6 and 7, uh, he writes this. My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle and are spent without hope. Oh, remember that my life is wind. Mine eyes shall no more see good. Now, you understand that Job was in a time of depression. Okay, He was, he was suffering in more ways than one. And so it sounds uh, rather pessimistic here, but that's just what he was going through. But he notices the speed of life. Uh, next, next chapter, chapter 8 and verse 9. Now, this is Bildad speaking. He says, for we're but of yesterday and know nothing because our days upon earth are a shadow. Shadows are fast. Children, have you ever tried to catch your shadow? Ever tried to catch your shadow? <laughs> you probably never caught your shadow. Shadows are really fast. And here he says that, that my days upon earth are like a shadow. One more, chapter 9. Uh, verses 25 and 26. Now my days, it seems like life is getting faster. <laughs> he says, now my days are swifter than a post. <sighs> what does that mean, children? A post? A fence post? They're not, what? no, he's, he means a runner. Okay, back in the olden days, they would call like a runner who was delivering news from one town to the next. They would dash from one town to the next because they didn't have internet or smartphone or telephones or anything. And so they were referred to as posts. They would run the news from one and they would go fast because it was important. He says, now my days are swifter than a post. They flee away. They see no good. They are passed away as the swift ships, as the eagle that hasted to the prey. Okay, so anyway... Life is fast, and Job was aware of that too. Let me just say that for the unbeliever, the ever-fleeting nature of life causes him to, to sigh with weary hopelessness and, and say, I mean, what's the point anyway? I mean, life is so fast. Life is just rush, rush, rush. And, and, and I wanted to enjoy this, and now it's all past. And, and I say for the unbeliever, along with that just comes up. A weary exhaustion. There's no point. Or, or maybe the unbeliever sort of has the attitude of that of Solomon when he said, all is vanity. All is vexation of spirit. It's just a chasing of the wind. And yet, dear people, for the believer, this dash of life causes us to consider the importance, once again, of making each moment count for Christ. And it reminds us that we must first and foremost pursue with a passion those things that have an eternal impact. Those things that make an eternal difference, eternal value. Think of your wife. 
Think of your children. Think of your neighbors. Think of the brothers and sisters in your congregation. Invest your life in those things that have eternal value because you're only here once and life is quick. And if you spend it on other things, you'll regret it. You'll look back and say, why did I spend all my life pursuing that which is just nothing? You see, it's been said that it is only souls that you can take with you. Why not put your greatest strength into investing in souls? Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Lastly then, I notice in James chapter 4 that life is finite. Life is finite. What do I mean by that? Well, when we think of God sometimes, we think of God being infinite. We use that word. And his love is infinite. His power is infinite. In other words, it never ends. It goes on and on and on. It's infinite. But life is finite. In other words, life is limited. Life is measured. Life is restricted. There are boundaries in place. We are not here forever. And so James writes in chapter 4, verse 14, For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time, and what? And then vanishes away. It's done. It's gone. I find it interesting, and yet I understand, that people go to great lengths to stay alive. And I think it's human nature. I mean, we fight for our life. We don't want to die. We fight to stay alive. And people will spend bukus of money on different health things in order to stay alive. But dear people, it doesn't matter how much money we spend on health products. One day, unless the, ret the Lord returns first, we will die. Each and every one of us. We will all Meet our end one day. Death is a part of life that we just simply cannot get around. And so in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, we read this, verse 1. To everything there is a season, a time to every purpose under the heaven, a time to be born and a time to die. That's just how it is. In verse 20, all are of the dust and all turn to dust again. Job 14, verse 5. Seeing his days are determined, the number of his months are with thee. Thou hast appointed his bounds that he cannot pass. I like how the New Living Translation renders that. He says, Lord, you have decided the length of our lives. You know how many months we will live, and we are not given a minute longer. You know. You have boundaries that are set around our life. You know us from beginning to end. You know when that moment will be. And we will not live a minute longer. Dear people, we are here on the Lord's time. We really are. And so, yes, life is fickle. Life is fragile. Life is fleeting. And life is finite. And so with these tr sobering truths in mind... James says we, we need to put away all our presumptuous planning. We need to do away with that proud spirit. What does he say? 
in verse 16. But now you rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. And instead, we must live a life of humble dependence upon God. Verse 15, for that ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. By the way, what is the point of saying Lord willing? <laughs> Maybe you think it's kind of a churchy thing or something that, that we say sometimes across the pulpit, like we're planning to have this special meeting, Lord willing. Or, or you know, something that we write alongside or at the end of an important document or something. Dear people, it's much more than that. But I say, what is the purpose of saying Lord willing? Does saying Lord willing change what happens? No. Does saying Lord willing, does that make life less fickle or fleeting or fragile or finite? No. Does saying Lord willing somehow, is it like the magic wand that changes the truth about life? Not at all. Saying Lord willing does not change the circumstance per se, but it changes you, you see. It changes me. Because it's awfully hard for a proud person to say, I plan to do this tomorrow if the Lord wills. That just grates against their flesh. I mean, what does God have to do with it anyway? I mean, that's what I'm doing, period. It takes humility to say, Lord, these are my plans, but you know best. This is what I intend to do. And we ought to make good plans. God expects that we use wisdom and make plans. And I know that we do not always get it said. We do not always say, Lord willing, along with everything. And yet it must be the attitude of the heart. Lord willing speaks of obedience and submission to the word of God. Lord willing means that we are consecrating all of ourselves to God. Our lives, our dreams, our aspirations, our bucket list, everything we've always wanted to do, we're consecrating those to God. Lord willing means that we understand that God is sovereign, that he is in control, that he holds our very life and breath in his hands. He holds the keys to our life. What does keys mean? It means power. It means authority. It means control. God holds the key to our lives. When someone has your car keys, when someone has your house keys, they've got the car, they've got the house. God holds the keys to our lives. He is in control. Our lives are in his hands. We ought to live our lives in humble dependence upon God. And I call you to that this morning. Once again, Psalm 90, verse 12. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Or, Lord, help us to gain a proper perspective of this thing that we call life. Help us to understand that life is short. Help us to understand the brevity of life that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Let's pray. Lord, you've blessed us so richly with another opportunity to dig into your word. Oh, Lord, these are precious moments for us. These are moments of, of gaining a better understanding of your will for our lives. And although 
Father, I confess that they sometimes fly against our flesh and against our will. We know and we understand that it is through obedience to your word and surrendering, submitting ourselves to you that there is beauty and that there is joy and that there is a peace that the world cannot understand. And so, Father, I pray that we would accept these words with a grateful heart with a willing spirit, and I pray that you would do your perfect work in us and help us, Lord, to not only understand for ourselves the importance and the urgency of life today, but help us to also use that as a means of evangelizing and sharing with others about eternal matters. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.